Right, good morning, everybody. Um, I'm Tommy, and I'm going to be reading the passage we've been going over for the last few weeks, Philippians 2, 1 through 11. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being in one spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place, and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth, and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Y'all can be seated. So if you're new with us today, we're, uh, again, we're excited you're here. And uh, the good news is uh, that we uh, are finishing this series and uh, you're going to be able to, to jump in and, and understand kind of the whole scope of what we've been talking about. And if you've been with us over the last few weeks, uh, my prayer and my hope is just that um, the Lord has used this scripture. He's used our time together uh, in community groups and in this time of the sermon just to really challenge your faith, challenge the way you approach life and to think about um, who you are in Christ. Uh, I know that uh, I've learned so much in the last month about my own faith, and I've learned it from you all. Um, when we began this series in Philippians 2, 1 through 11, the vision was that we would uh, end up right here around Thanksgiving time talking about gratefulness, right? Because that's just what you're supposed to do, Thanksgiving. And... Um, God's done that, right? God, God has blessed that and he's honored that. But he has done way, way more than that. He's done way, way more than that in the lives of um, this church. Um, a couple weeks ago, we talked about the power of forgiveness. Um, as we realized that Christ emptied himself, gave up everything to forgive you and to forgive me. And um, church, the good news is, is that is wrecking us, <laughs> There are stories literally every day um, of people in our church family that that idea is just wrecking them and, and completely restoring their faith in Christ. Um, and, and what's neat is that it's coming from this place where God is, is birthing true humility and, and true gratitude, not platitude, none of this fake plastic, I'm so thankful for all that I have faith in us, but true humility and true gratitude. God is birthing that. There are people in our church who are realizing that they may have chosen to forgive someone a long time ago, but they had never emotionally actually dealt with that. And they are going back to people. There, there are people who are going back to people from years ago in their past and seeking their forgiveness. I, uh, I met someone in the last month that I'd, I'd never known before. I didn't know them. And I began to learn their story and listen to their story. And the turning moment in their story was when 
Somebody from our CCC family had extended forgiveness to them. They said, it changed my life. It's the only reason that I'm sitting here in front of you today. And I'm blown away. Never met this person. Uh, multiple people have reached out and sought my forgiveness. And that is so humbling um, to do that. And, and quite frankly, it just it's forced me to say, where do I need forgiveness? And who do I need forgiveness from? And so the Lord has done so much in this idea of, of just humbling ourselves, being truly grateful to Jesus. And um, it's contagious. Forgiveness is contagious. And I've learned as we've journeyed together that it's really hard to be grateful. It's really hard to be grateful if you haven't been forgiven. It's really hard to be grateful if you haven't been forgiven. And just what Melinda was talking about just a few minutes ago, when we begin to operate out of a place of shame instead of out of a place of forgiveness, it really messes with us. It really messes with us. And so my prayer is that um, today all of us, wherever we are at in our relationship with Christ, however we ended up in this place today, uh, whoever invited us, whatever is going on in our stories, my prayer is that at the end, all of us find ourselves consumed and enthralled and just overwhelmed by Jesus, by the forgiveness that he's given to us and, and by the salvation that he extends to us. Um, and and I, I pray that it would just be this point where the only thing that we have left to do is be grateful to him. That's kind of where I hope we end up. Um, yesterday, I, uh, I spent the day at a cheerleading competition. <laughs> yeah, woohoo. Yeah, for some people, it's a woohoo. For the guys, they're like, wow, wow, who is this guy? I'm not listening anymore. <laughs> no, my, uh, my wife, Caitlin, and uh, Kayla coached the, the cheerleaders at Collins, and yesterday was big region competition, and uh, because I love my wife and because I want to serve her and because we try to do as many things together as we can because that's oftentimes the only quality time we get, I said, yes, I will announce the region cheer competition. So here I was on the PA uh, announcing the uh, cheer competition from way too early to way too late. It was a long day. But um, it was funny because at the end of the day, at the very end of the day, I'm announcing the winners and this lady is sitting beside me and um, we're like going through all of these, you know, I've been sitting around all these judges. I have, I have nothing, like I don't know cheer. Like hopefully they stay up in the air and they yell loud, right? Like I don't know. And so all these judges, like all these super serious people about cheerleading are around me all day sitting at the judges table. And this lady sits down by me at the end and she's helping me through all this. And we've got some downtime and I'm like, so who are you? Like. I have no idea who you are. And she begins to explain to me that this is her third regional competition of the day. She's been all over the state, you know, investing in cheer in Kentucky. And she's like this big wig in Kentucky cheer. And I'm like, oh, like, I'm just here to announce my wife coaches. Like, whoo. And I realized I was sitting next to someone who, anybody in the room who was somebody new, right? Like, they knew who this person was, and I had no clue, no clue. So I go to the cheer competition, and I come home last night, and I read through the verses that we want to go through today. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And this piercing question stirs in my heart and challenges me. 
I'm sitting right next to this cheer person, right, who I'm, I, if I'm a cheer anybody, I should know. And I had no clue who it was. And I just felt the Lord asking me, if Jesus walked in and sat down next to me, would I recognize him? Would I recognize him? He probably doesn't look like all the pictures we've made up of him, right? Like, would I recognize the real Jesus if he came in and sat next to me? Or would I have no clue? Would I have no clue? And then as I'm thinking about this passage where every knee bows and every tongue confesses in the presence of Christ, then the next question that I started wrestling with was, okay, let's say I did recognize him. Would I drop everything that I was doing and worship him? Would I be able to express gratitude to him for my salvation? I didn't like some of the answers that I felt stirring inside of me, right? Sometimes my life looks so much like one thing that it doesn't look like Christ. And so if Christ is beside me, I'm not sure I would know enough about who he is to even recognize that it was him. And if it was, if I would, you know, be too busy for him, not have the time or the priority for him. And I realized that that was the context of, of everything we're talking about today, right? This idea of worshiping Jesus, of bowing and confessing that he is like, do we even recognize him? It sounds like a simple question, but do we even recognize him in our lives? Do we see that it's happening? Because I worry that we might have no clue. Maybe I'm the only one. But I worry that we might miss him. I'm worried that we might be wrapped up in so many things that, that we miss the entire point of our lives. And that's to worship him. To bow our knee and to confess that he is our Lord. We're going to talk about what that actually means for, for us in this world and in our daily lives today. Uh, a couple weeks ago, um, so Tinley, my daughter Tinley has an old iPhone that she uses to watch shows and play games on. And a couple weeks ago, she, uh, uh, we, we've had boundary issues with the phone, right? So sometimes we have to take the phone away. Sometimes she gets the phone. And so I'm taking her to school one day. And she's got her coat on. It's cold. We're going to school. She's sitting in the back. Everything's great. We're listening to Way FM. You know, picture all the nice, warm, fuzzy things. We've had a good morning. Like, we didn't have a meltdown trying to get our clothes on. It was great. So we're in the car, and we get over to Painted Stone, and we're going around the loop. And, like, we, we get to the point where she's supposed to get out. And the kid comes and opens up the door. And Tinley's, you know, all excited to go to school. And she opens, you know, she starts to bubble out the door. And she says, Bye, Dad. I love you. And I'm, I look back. And as I look back, the iPhone is sticking out her coat pocket. I really didn't care that she loved me there for just a minute. And I reached back and I grabbed her arm and I sat her down in her seat and I pulled that iPhone out of her pocket and I said, This does not ever go to school. Okay. Okay, Daddy. Then she gets out and go to school, and I drive off, and I'm thinking, great. I just ruined her day. Like, she had a good morning, and I ruined her day, right? But, but I, I tell that story because here's the thing. I think, I think it kind of illustrates this idea of do we really recognize Jesus? Do we really love him? Are we really worshiping Christ with our lives? Because here's the thing. I think for a lot of us, we get out of the car and we say, I love you, Jesus. 
there's a little pocket God in there, right? There's that little thing that we just can't seem to let go of. There's that little thing that we just want to keep taking with us. We can't seem to leave it behind. We walk around saying that we love Jesus. We, would, we love the Father. I'm a Christian. I go to church. We, all the phrases, right? But we're sneaking around with a bunch of other things in our pocket. I don't think God would respond like I would. <laughs> but we have to consider what that means. It's, it's terrible. We're hiding these little gods, right, these little pocket gods in gratitude. How many of you have said things like, I'm just so thankful for, and then you fill in the blank, right? So thankful for my house. I'm so thankful for my job. I'm so thankful for my family. And, and what's really scary is some of the things that we think we're the most thankful for are the things that are slowly becoming our gods. Externally, we say that we're thankful for all of our material blessings, while internally, we just want more of them, right? We just want more of them. Externally, we say that we're thankful for our family, while internally, we hate that our kids are controlling our lives and our marriages are suffering. Externally, we say that we're thankful for technology, while internally, we recognize that it's turning us into really selfish, bitter consumers. We love you, Jesus but i got to keep this little thing in my pocket. The things that we say we are grateful for are becoming our gods. We're hiding our gods in gratitude. And that means it's a platitude, right? It's fake. It's not real. So it brings us to this last truth about gratitude that we have to really grasp, and it's, it's kind of out there, and it's kind of tough to really grab onto because it's, it's a lot of, you know, there's just, it's just up in our head a little bit. But it's this idea that true gratitude always exalts Christ. It always exalts Christ. True gratitude is never something that exalts another person. It never exalts another material thing. True gratitude exalts Christ alone. Everything else, and we don't like this idea, everything else is a platitude. Everything that we're thankful to besides Christ is a cover-up, a fake, a stealer of our joy. It's not that we can't be thankful for people. It's not that we can't be thankful for things. But it's when we use gratitude to exalt those people or to exalt those things in our lives. We have to stop hiding our gods in gratitude. We have to stop. And it's difficult because it's subtle. It's tough to catch. Satan is really good at what he does. But too often we're getting out of the car telling Jesus that we love him while we're trying to sneak something else in in our pocket. Poor Tindley, she's never going to live down this illustration. <laughs> Give her grace. We have worked through 11 verses in the last month. This is something Christ Community hasn't ever done, right? Like really dug into this passage. And, and I hope that that's been fruitful for you. The first eight verses in this chapter of Philippians were all about Jesus, right? They were all about who Christ is, what he's done for us. We saw in verses 1 through 3 that Jesus is the source of joy the only pure source of joy, right? We compared him to an essential oil dealer. Like, he is the only one who deals in pure joy. No other knockoffs. And then we saw that our joy was completed by others, that we couldn't find our joy in other people, we couldn't find our joy in the things that we enjoy, but, but they just completed it, right? Jesus is the only one, and it was about realigning our priorities around Jesus, and then others, and then yourself. 
So we saw that about him. We saw in verses 4 through 5 that the most powerful way to be like Jesus is to forgive as he forgave us. It's one of the only ways to look not only to your own interest, but also to the interest of others, which is an absolute head-scratcher at first glance, right? Like, how do I look two ways at the same time? And finally, last week, we saw that Jesus is, is real, right? He is real. He didn't, he didn't just come with a bunch of one-liners and some really great philosophical ideas about how to live life. He died on a cross for us. He got in the mess and the mud and the grind, and he, he did the tough work. He was real, and he calls us to that same authenticity. But in these last couple of verses, in, in verses 9 through 11, there's a shift. Something changes. All of a sudden, Jesus isn't the one in the middle of the action anymore. He's not the agent of, of change in the verse. God the Father is. It says, therefore, God has highly exalted him. And after sending his son to restore our joy, to forgive our sins on the cross, God has something to say about his son. He says, listen, there is no one like him. There is no one better than he is. His name is more powerful than any other name. There is no one else that deserves our gratitude. Give it to Jesus. That's a strong statement about his son. Recently, uh, there were four of us from Christ Community, four leaders, uh, Jerry Smith and Bobby Carnes and Kevin Casey. Uh, we had an opportunity to go down to a one-day conference in Nashville. And the conference was geared for, for church leaders, for ministry leaders. And uh, it, was a, it was a good day. But the, the very first guy who talked said something that challenged me and has begun to change the way that I think uh, about ministry but also about life. So the guy used this line. He said, listen, ministry is a great blessing, but it is a terrible God. I was like, what is he talking about? He said, ministry is a great blessing, but it is a terrible God. He said, man, there are so many good things. And you remember, he's speaking to ministers, right? He's like, there's so many good things about ministry. You, you get to see people's lives change. You, you get to, you know, serve. You get to join Jesus in the mission to transform the world. Like, there are so many good things about ministry. He said, but when you sell out and, and the end is about ministry, when it's just about doing that and it becomes your God, he said, it's a terribly cruel God. It's a terribly cruel God. All of a sudden, it's not even about Jesus anymore. It's just about whatever the people tell you to do, and that's a terrible way to live. I was challenged by that, but, but I was challenged by it even more than just ministry because as I began to walk away and think about that, I thought, man, how many things have I put in that blank? How many blessings do I have in this world how many blessings do all of us have in this world that we have allowed to become our God? And when they do, they are a very cruel God because they can never give us what Jesus gave us. Forgiveness. Eternal life. They can only demand more from us. You say, well, how would you know that you've turned something good into a God? How would you know that you've taken something that, that is a blessing here on earth and turned it into a God? I think there's a couple of ways to tell. If it's a material thing, it becomes something that you can't let go of, right? You may even be able to recognize that it has too much control in your life. It's taking too much of your time, too much of your money. You may realize that it's consuming your thoughts. But no matter how hard you try, you just can't seem to quite let go of it. 
You justify a reason that you have to have it. And that's how we know that a material thing has gone from something good to, to a God. But then I also think there's a great temptation to make people in our life who are a blessing into a God. You say, no, 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 I worship Jesus alone, right? Whenever we, in a relationship, begin to place expectations on people that they can never meet, we have taken someone who is a blessing and we have turned them into a God. We expect more from them than they can ever give to us. And we have to remember that just as we sang, everyone's a sinner, right? Don't we do this all the time? We take our kids and we expect more from them than they could ever give back to us. Something that's such a great blessing and we turn them into a God. In our marriages, instead of communicating about our expectations, we, we just set these expectations, sometimes mentally, sometimes subconsciously, we don't even know it. And before we know it, we expect them to be perfect. We expect them to be like a God to us, to serve us, to meet our needs. And we've taken something that should be a blessing, the blessing of marriage, and we've turned it into a God. We do it for our parents. Even as we get older, we still have expectations of them. What is it for you that goes in that blank? What is it that, that you have been blessed with that you have allowed to become a God? Maybe for you, the answer is family. You're like, I love my family. I love my family too. But my family cannot be my God. Family is a great blessing, but it's a terrible God. Maybe it's money. Money's a great blessing, but a terrible God. And when our minds and our lives begin to be consumed with, man, how am I going to get more money so that I can do more things or whatever, right? It's turned from a blessing to a God. Maybe it's sports. Sports are a great blessing. I enjoy them. I spent my whole day announcing a cheerleading competition for Pete's sake. I love it. It's a great blessing. I mean that. You, you laugh, but I do mean it. It's fun. But it's a terrible God. It's a terrible God. I hope this makes us uncomfortable, right? But there's some other things that can be in this blank. Our personal security, right? Security is a great blessing. In the neighborhood we live in, the homes that we have, whatever, the country that we live in, it's a great blessing, but it is a terrible God. When every decision that we make, when everything that we think about is all geared towards being safe. Intellect is a great blessing. Being able to figure things out and think through hard things and, and understand the intricacies of all the stuff in the world. It's a great blessing to be able to use our God-given brains, but it is a terrible God when everything must be understood. Why? Because true gratitude exalts Christ alone. It is Jesus alone who can be our God, who can forgive us and give us eternal life. It's challenging, isn't it? It's like it's hard to think about. Like all these good things and you're like, ah, they don't compare to Jesus. So what do we do with this? 
How do we respond to this? What does this passage, Philippians 2, 9 through 11, just these last few verses, what does it tell us to do with this idea that all of us are wrestling, all of us are struggling with, with these things that are slowly creeping in and trying to take the place of Jesus in our lives? What do we do? There's two verbs, two actions that this passage presents. Bow and confess. Bow and confess. And these two actions are the heart of our worship. These two actions are how we should always respond to the Father, and they must shape our attitudes. First, to bow. When we bow, our attention is undivided. Our attention is undivided. I love Psalms 99.5. It says, exalt the Lord our God. Worship at his footstool. Worship at his footstool. Holy is he. In Bible times, the action of bowing meant that people would literally get on their knees and touch their head to the ground. All right? I thought about making everybody bow, but I, just, I thought everybody might leave after that. I don't know. Like, it's uncomfortable, right? If you want to feel weak, if you want to feel helpless, if you want to feel completely and utterly vulnerable to everybody in the room and everybody in the place, like, bow. Get on your knees and put your face on the ground and tell me how you feel. It's not good. It's not empowering. And this is what we're called to do in the presence of Christ. So how do we do this in the present age? How do we bow to Christ in, in 2017 Shelbyville, Kentucky? I got two ideas. I'm sure there's multiple ones, but two that I feel like the Lord is challenging us with. One is the idea of singing together to Jesus. I know that sounds like, oh, we're in church. Of course you'd say that. There's something really interesting that happens when we sing together to Jesus. And actually, there's research that's beginning to support this idea. Socially, when we sing together, it connects us in ways that we can't do on our own because it forces us to engage with those people around us, right? Like we, the worship leaders, like they have to look at each other. They have to figure out where they are in the song. And when you sing with, when everyone sings together, we are all connecting, looking each other in the eye, figuring out how to connect with one another. It connects us. Mentally, when we begin to focus on what we're singing and, and think about what we have to do, it forces us to focus on what we're doing and keeps us from worrying about all the other things of the world right? Why do you think we like worship? Because the Father created us to bow to him in this way, right? And then physically, studies are showing that, that when we sing out loud and use our voices and our oxygen, uh, that, like it's very similar to doing a physical workout. The endorphin levels are similar. The oxygen to the blood is similar. It literally changes us when we sing together about Christ. Isn't that crazy? That's just really cool to me. And, and, and so it becomes this way that we all bow together. We all give our undivided attention to that one moment in time where we're connected through singing the gospel of Jesus Christ to one another. And guess what? All those studies show that you can be a really bad singer and still have all those same effects. So, no excuses, right? The second is this. We serve a timeless God. He's the maker of time. And I believe it's one of the things that we honor God with the least. Right? Tons of books have been written about how to manage your money God's way. Managing your time for God is, is very difficult. A great challenge in today's fast-moving world. 
our community group this week, um, a statement that was made that was so challenging. Ryan Adams said, we like to believe that it's our time to use how we wish. And even that isn't ours. Even time isn't ours, right? God is the maker of our time. And so just a really practical application of that, I would really challenge each of you to do a time audit of your life. Now, Thanksgiving week may not be the best case study, right? But take a normal week and just write down, how am I spending my time? And be amazed at how much of your time is geared for Jesus, how much of your time is geared for yourself, for others, right? Just take, take inventory of what your time is. I believe there's no greater way to honor the one who made time than to consider how you're using it, right? And then, I'm just going to press right on in there because I love my community group. I was really challenged by Kathy Spicer. Kathy raised six kids while her husband went to medical school. And we're talking about this idea of time and connecting with Jesus and worshiping. And she says, you know what? If I'm just going to be honest with you, she said, there's a lot of days right now that my kids are out of the house that I feel like I connect with the Lord less than when I did with my kids because I was forced to depend on him in every moment. I was like, there goes all my excuses. My kids are making me too busy. She's like, nah, that's when I had to depend on him. So then I asked the logical question, how in the world did you do that? And she said, when I had my kids, she said, my Bible laid open on my counter every day. It just laid there. And every chance I got to walk over to that counter and read a little bit of it, I did. I was like, okay, we're all going home now, and we're going to put a Bible on our counter. But it's so true, right? When we bow, this idea, this image of bowing in front of Jesus Christ, our attention is undivided. If your face is on the ground and you're on your knees, you're vulnerable, you're weak, and there's nothing else that you can look at. And how many things in our life are that way centered around Christ? Right? Can we think just a little bit about giving our undivided attention to him? It's a really tough battle to remain in this position of humility, of being bowed before the Lord. And that's why he puts that second action in there to confess. So now we're not only on our knees, on our faces, bowing before the Lord, but while we're doing that, we're confessing, Jesus is Lord, Jesus is Lord, Jesus is Lord. Why? Because it keeps us there. It reminds us that we're sinners. But it also helps us return when we've gone far away from the Lord. Romans 10.9, it's a popular verse about confession. I'm going to read from the New Living Translation. It says, if you openly declare, in other translations, that word is confess. If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. I love this idea of openly declaring Jesus. You may believe that Jesus is God, right? You may believe that to be true, but have you told others that he's the Lord of your life? Okay, maybe you've done that at one point in time in your life. You stood before the church or repeated a confession that Jesus is Lord or you were baptized and you declared to the public that you'd given your life to Christ and that's a really good thing. It's essential. But what happens after that? Do you want people to know that you're a soul out Christian when you're sitting around a table at lunch with your friends or your peers? Or do you want to steer away from that conversation? Would you want to confess that Jesus is Lord when you're watching the game with friends? 
Would you openly declare Jesus is Lord when you're sharing Thanksgiving dinner with your unbelieving family members? Or is that topic definitely off topic? Pushing to find ways to talk about Jesus in your everyday life and activity is essential to your faith. Not just because you want to win others to Christ. Like, that's a fruit of that. It's essential because it keeps you in a position of humility before the Lord. If you're not talking about him, then you're likely not connecting with him. Sometimes we get out of that position, though, right? We, we, we stray, we're far from the Lord, and, and what then? What do we say today to those people that maybe don't even know the Lord or have never connected with him in a way? We're reminded of the good news in Proverbs 28, 13. It says, people who conceal their sins will not prosper. If you try to hold all that in, you will not prosper. It's just going to eat you alive. But if they confess and turn from them, they will receive mercy. Mercy never sounded so good. See, it's not about waiting to become perfect or getting everything right. It's about returning to the Lord. It's about bowing and confessing, bowing and confessing, continually putting ourselves in that position of humility before the Lord and asking ourselves the question, what are those little pocket gods that are trying to steal Jesus' throne in my life? I want to speak for just a couple minutes to a group of people that probably exist in this audience today. And that's those of you who are like, I'm not sure how I ended up here. I'm not even sure I believe in this stuff. I'm not sure I've ever really known Christ. And to you, I want to say this. Every created being is going to bow before Jesus. Every created being is going to bow before Jesus. We can't miss this. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed upon him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow where? In heaven and on earth and under the earth. There is a day coming when whether you like it or not, you are going to recognize that Jesus is the Lord of everything. That he is the king. And so for those of you who have never bowed before him, maybe you've been in church for a long time and you've never just given your life to him. He's never had your undivided attention. I don't know. But know that you will bow before him. Be it in heaven or on earth. And prayerfully not under the earth. But at some point... Every created being will bow at the name of Jesus Christ. And if you've never done that, I plead with you. I just, I plead with you to do so. To say, I don't want any of those pocket gods. I don't want anything that's going to cut in on my relationship with Christ. I want to give him my time, my talents, my abilities, my resources. I want everything to be his. Undivided attention falling at the feet of Jesus Christ because, listen, I don't want to bow to him when I'm under the earth. I don't want to bow to him when I'm under the earth. Maybe today you're realizing that you're grateful for a lot of things in life, but you've never expressed your gratitude to Jesus by bowing your life to him. 
Not just saying some words, not just going through the motions, but giving your life to him. Figuring out how Jesus Christ changes every corner of who you are. Don't try to sneak anything by the Father. Don't say you love him and then walk away. Don't wait any longer to say that I'm done doing it my way. Bow at the throne of Christ. Will you make that choice today? And that's not just a question to those of us who don't believe. It's a question for all of us. Will you make the choice today to give your undivided attention to allow him to change every area of your life, to take even the things that are the greatest blessings, family, money, your home, will you begin to ask how all of those things are bowing at the foot of Jesus? Will you do that? I want to close like this, and the band's going to come. We're just going to read through this passage that we've been studying through. We're going to stand and read. And, and when we do, I want you to think long and hard about whether or not you want to read that with us. Make a choice, right? Today, the choice is set before you. You will either honor the Lord or you will not. I can't make that choice for you. But if you want to bow before him and give him your undivided attention, we're just going to read that together. And it's okay if you don't read it. If it's, it's okay if you're not ready to read it. I'm not saying that. I'm not trying to pressure you into it. I'm just trying to help you to understand the gravity of the conversation we're having when we talk about worshiping Jesus Christ. And if you're not able to read that, if you don't, don't choose to read that today, we'd love to have a conversation about why that's true. We'd love to pray with you. We'd love to learn your story. We'd love to just walk with you in that part of your journey. Myself and others will be in the back to do that today, but that's just for the next few minutes. We can do it all week. We can do it whenever, because this is important, and this matters. Have you bowed before the Lord? And have you confessed that he is your only God? Would you stand with me? If you've made that commitment to him, we're just going to read this together, beginning in verse 1. After we read it together, we'll just respond as, as we typically do. We'll have a communion over on both sides, the bread and the juice. If you've given your life to Christ and uh, you've been baptized in him, we encourage you to come forward, take a piece of the bread and dip it in the juice to remember the sacrifice, the humility that Christ showed so that you could read this passage and have encouragement and life and joy in him.